Thanks for tuning in. We're Ace Comicals. I have with me my co-hosts Rahul Jani and Leon Everett. I'm Greg Driver. Let's get started. Hi guys, welcome to Ace Comicals number 14 and it's time again for us to delve into our picks from the stack. And we have plenty to talk about, as always. So, without further ado, let's get on with it. Um, so, I've got the usual suspects with me today. Leon and uh, Ray, say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it was SDCC. I guess we should a- a- address the giant elephant in the room first. It was San Diego Comic-Con, SDCC for short. At San Diego Comic-Con, they announced some pretty cool stuff. The stuff that stood out, for me at least, anyway, being a huge TMNT weeb is uh the fact that we are getting um this dimension x thing that i've talked about before which is this event that's upcoming within the turtles comics universe within the idw turtles comics universe and that's going to kick off with issue 73 of teenage mutant ninja turtles which will be the beginning of krang's trial for intergalactic war crimes and stuff uh, and issue 73 is also rather special because it marks the longest running ongoing Turtles comic in the history of Turtles comics. And that is the words of Kevin Eastman from Ke- Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz from a video that I watched from some of the SDCC coverage. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be pretty cool. And I'll be looking forward to picking that one up because it's going to be rather special for me, I think. Uh, that's and, pretty cool. Yeah, August 9th, that one. Uh, and that also is when we get the first dimension x book as well as part of the event that they're running so it's going to be cool um this week in fact f- for more turtles news actually i'll just bounce off that so this week um this when this podcast releases the day this podcast releases which will be wednesday the 26th of july uh we're getting the uh, tmnt usagi yojimbo crossover one shot um it has been 20 years since Asagi crossed over with the Turtles in the comic books, and that will be really cool as well. Because I mean, I mean, he's been a regular character popping up, like obviously two separate stories, two separate properties, whatever. But Asagi Yojimbo has been a pop. This is Stan Sakai's Asagi Yojimbo, by the way. He's been a popular character that's been popping up within Turtles comics and within Turtles um, cartoons and things over the years. But it's been twenty years since we last saw him in the comics, so that's going to be pretty nice. Um, we've got. Uh, a TMNT Ghostbusters sequel that has been announced. So um, there was a crossover a while back now um, with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the the uh, the Ghostbusters, as in the not the answer the call Ghostbusters, the um, the original four Ghostbusters uh, within the IDW comics universe for both titles. So the IDW Ghostbusters stuff, which is uh, Eric Burnham and Dan Schooning, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, that's crossing over again and. Uh, there's not much of a hint about what's going to happen yet, but there's going to be some stuff involving an old foe, I think, from the Turtles side of things, and a ghost dimension, and obviously the eight of them have to step up to the mark once again to solve the issue, and it's going to be great, I reckon, because uh, the last one was a real riot. Um, the promo art, we've got a little bit of promo art, just a little bit, and it's kind of a riff on the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze poster, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, Instead of looking at a um, a canister of ooze, the turtles seem to be examining a ghost trap, 
and uh, you've also got the four Ghostbusters in the background as well. Um, so if you can get a quick, get a look at that, Egon with his Tobin Spirit Guide, Ray with his uh, Ecto goggles and his uh, um, PK meter Geiger counter, Winston looking looking pretty pretty mean, Peter looking pretty bemused, <laughs> doesn't really care, and then you have got the four go the four turtles just kind of like sort of like crouched over this trap, just like oh this is pretty cool, like Donnie's like in deep in thought, Raph's just sort of standing there Leo's like huh and Mikey's got a huge smile on his face as usual because it's Mikey so yeah I'm looking forward to that one um and I guess from that I'll just segue straight into what we've been reading or in fact actually we've got the Eisner Awards as well so this is more SDCC stuff um we had the Eisner Awards SDCC which are the uh, prestigious comic book awards um I guess you could say they're kind of like the BAFTAs for comics guys right Almost yeah. like the Oscars, I would Maybe say. the Oscars, yeah. Mm. So um, this is like an awards ceremony for comics, and uh, the main thing that we took away from this was that Fiona Staples, who um, does the artwork for one of this podcast's favourite books, which is Saga, kind of cleaned up, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, how many did she win? She won, like, three or four in total? Was it two for herself and then one for Saga as well? We've got Best Continuing Series. Which was um, Saga. Saga 1. Yeah. So that was Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples. And then we've also got, um, since we're on the topic, Best Writer, Brian K. Vaughan, yep. Paper Girls and Saga. Uh, Best Penciler slash Inker, Individual or Team, Fiona Staples for Saga. Yep. And also Best Cover Artist, Fiona Staples for Saga, which deservedly so for every single one of those, I think. Yeah. Um, best Colouring for Paper Girls as well. Oh yeah, which was pretty cool. Oh, really? Yeah. Paper girls. Yeah, Matt Wilson, best coloring. Paper oh, girls. I see. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The coloring in paper girls is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Plays well, like paper girls, Wicked and divine. Mm. Very vibrant and cool um, colors that I, I like. Sort of vibe with they like they feel of a certain era, which I quite like. Well, yeah, mm. and and but Saga and more importantly Fiona Staples getting the recognition they deserve. So that's pretty cool. Well done. Was there anything else in the the list of winners that stood out to you guys? Um, for me, Jeff Lemire, um, oh, yeah. mainly because I was a big fan of his um, New Fifty Two Animal Man and Swamp Thing books, um, which both of them were really short lived, and it's quite sad because I thought they were really cool. Um, Animal Man got cancelled uh, and didn't really have an ending. Swamp Thing got brought to an abrupt end. I think it was... I, I don't know if it was... I'm saying it was a forced ending because that's how it felt when I read it. Um, because they sort of just like... I think they just canned it and just... But yeah. No, they they were really great and I don't know why they had to come to an ending like that because I don't think it was... You know, I wasn't happy with it. But yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, but he won for Best New Series... For Black Hammer, yeah, which uh, which I haven't read yet, but I'm probably going to get round to. I need to get round to. So yeah. Hmm. Um. So I guess we should move on to what we've actually been reading uh, over the past month. I think it is since we last did one of these. It is, yeah. Yeah. So, um, who wants to go first? Shall we draw straws? Well, uh, if I can jump in there, because yeah. one of the guys that stood out from the Eisner Awards for me was Jason Shiga. Yep. Um, I think quite pick up where i recognize his name from immediately but i remembered that it was actually i picked up a book called meanwhile just from a cheap bookshop because it 
uh, this bookshop that's near my house it has really random selection of like occasionally crappy but just and occasionally brilliant cheap comic books because um, everything they sell in there is cheap picked up the uh, Jason Shiga book called Meanwhile um, basically just based on its format so it's basically like a square hardback book where each page has a different tab on it and it's essentially a updated version of a choose your own adventure book so you start off on the first page and you have a couple of choices to make and you follow these pipes that are strewn across the page and each pipe leads to one of these tabs on the side of the the book and you flip to that particular tab which opens up a particular page in that book and it leads you through these all these you know decisions and the cover of this book meanwhile um claims to have 3856 story possibilities I fell in love with it. It's amazing. Um, it turns out that Jason Shiga has a degree in pure mathematics, and it definitely shows from this book. So the fact that he's won for best graphic album reprint, um, Demon, I didn't even know he'd done anything since Meanwhile. I, you know, I'd never really gone looking into it. It turns out Demon was something that he started as a webcomic in 2014, and it completed in 2016. Um, and very recently, I think, maybe in the last year or so, it was available for free in its entirety online. And now he only has the first chapter of, I think, 21. So essentially 720 pages, which were free on his website, you now have to buy in paper format. And I'm kicking myself that I can only read chapter one right now, which I have done this morning, um, you know, frantically caught up on it. It's really cool. It's a story about, let me see if I can bring up the, the synopsis for it. So. No matter how hard he tries, Jimmy Yi cannot die. A noose around his neck, a razor across his wrist, and even a bullet to his head all yield the same results. He awakes from each suicide attempt, miraculously unharmed, in his shabby room at the Sunbeam Motel. So it's got kind of like a Groundhog Day vibe to it, but it's slightly more mysterious than that. He wakes up and finds his own disembodied head in the bathroom at one point, and at that point, chapter one ends. And it says, please purchase the book from your local retailer, uh, which is exactly what I did. I went out and <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I immediately bought um, the first three volumes um, from Waterstones. I think the fourth one comes out in November, um, eagerly awaiting that. So that's what I've kind of been reading and hope to be reading in the next few days. That does actually sound pretty amazing. I mean, what do you yeah. think this is going to lead into? Like, where do you think this is going? You said the guy's like a maths guy. So do you think this has got something to do with, like, um, multiple universes or...? I would suspect so. I mean, Meanwhile had a bit of time travel uh, thing going on. With yeah. It. I suspect that this will definitely have something because it seems to be this cyclical nature to his day. Um, and it's a lot more adult than I realised he was capable of because Meanwhile is a very has a very childish look to it. It's about him going through this machine, deciding what kind of flavour of ice cream he wants, which changes the course of his day, you know, flipping a coin and the result of that. And immediately Demon is, um, you know, about this guy trying to commit suicide in various graphic but also kind of cartoony ways. And it definitely has this web comic-y look to it. Um, so I want to see where that goes. I want to see how he can mix this dark mm. theme with this kind of childlike imagery so um with with um mm. the first book you mentioned it's yeah. kind of like um that's like chaos theory isn't it butterfly effect stuff there's there's a heavy dose of butterfly effect in it. Yeah, yeah 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 that sounds pretty cool. and um just by having stalked him on twitter this morning because of doing the research for the eisner awards and whatnot i uh, discovered that he's currently in the middle of doing a new uh, book called the box 
which basically looks like Meanwhile on crack. <laughs> where, where, where Meanwhile opens up into two pages, the box opens up into three, and apparently that middle section of the three pages enables the story to have like an inventory system and something like that, and it just it looks crazy, and the guy is a genius for being able to make this kind of stuff work. Um, if you can't pick up a copy of Meanwhile physically, there is an iOS app, apparently, which is just as good i imagine but i i love the fact that there's this tangible thing that you can flip through and yeah if you can find it in hardback i would highly recommend that that sounds really cool Hmm. um so where do we go from there i don't think i've read anything quite as mathematical as that (laughs) well Um, i I caught up on shirtless bear fighter yeah you guys raved about yeah i don't really have much to add because uh you guys covered it all the last time be shirtless Um, fight a bear bear punch yeah, everything's a bear punch. Yeah. I love that every single time he punches a bear, it screams bear punch. Yeah. Um, I mean, not much to add to that. I would highly recommend it. It's, uh, it's not. It's silly, but not as irritating as the name would suggest. I think, which is something I think Leon mentioned the other time. Like it has a bit more going on to it than just the one note joke that it could follow. Yeah. Yeah, that's the fear that I had going in is that it would become uh, like repetitive, but it, it, it seemed to walk that balance really well. And I, I think I described it as being like an adult swim show or something. Yeah, you mm. did. Yeah, very adult swim. And I agree with you about that, actually. I, I, I mean, obviously, I, I didn't fear anything going into this because even if it was just a one-note thing, I could laugh at the same joke over and over because I'm like that. <laughs> but yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, with things like Shirtless Bear Fighter, I... It, like the novelty would not wear off i don't think so yeah but no no i i really enjoyed the first issue and i'm glad you enjoyed it as well and we get number two soon so great yeah yeah looking forward to that yeah um, i am following on from that um i've picked up winnebago graveyard number two which i believe you did as well greg yes not you, Leon. yes winnebago yeah, graveyard sorry. I don't know if we can say too much about it because Leon hasn't read it yet. Oh, and also, man. dear listeners, haven't well, the listeners—you got to think about the listeners. Oh, it just says the dear listeners haven't also haven't read it. But how do you know they haven't uh, read it? It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good point. <laughs> I've got so much to say about this book, and and it's like I, I'm my mouth is like taped over right now because this second issue really, really hammers home the horror story thing. Like we can where... speak in broad strokes yeah yeah and i think we can speak to how much i mean I'm, i haven't spoken to you about this greg it, it's clear that you enjoyed it i think i also liked it as much as you did um like it it's really doubling down on the horror theme that it's going for it yeah. still has as much of the creepy um what was the term we used last time like a dutch angle everything yeah. slightly askew that it started off in in issue one yeah it's brilliant and i i love what's happening towards the end of each book as well where it has some excerpts from uh you know from some text yeah which is really interesting and it feeds back into the themes of the issue that we just read. there's some creatively shaped panels in this issue that i really enjoyed Yeah. yeah and and like the events in this one it's like so going on how i talked about it last time where the first one was probably the first half an hour of the horror movie where it's setting everything up and you get the feeling that something's not quite right but nothing has happened yet and it's just sort of starting to tick over and events are starting to fall into place and happen well this is now the second 
maybe half an hour for this is probably like getting into the, this is the second half hour of, of a, a two hour horror movie i guess yeah or, yeah so this is i think it's still yeah it's still building up but now we have yeah some rules set in place and there's some characters set in place and yeah kind of the vibe of what's going on and the jig is up you know what the threat is now yeah yeah i just going back to what you said about creatively shaped panels i just love that there's still some of the stuff that really puts you on edge like a disheveled mouse in the corner of one one of the pages just yeah. little little details yeah just like, little things just little things man yeah it's it's really good yeah one thing i was going to say which i don't i was trying to articulate the last time we talked about it something about the art style and how wavy the lines are and how you know um the coloring goes through the lines a little bit mm. it reminds me of that um the animatrix episode yeah Kid story you know the bit where like I don't know if you. Um, I know you guys have seen it. I don't know if our listeners have seen the Animatrix, but there's an episode in it where um, there's like a kid in school, and there's a, uh, an action sequence where he gets on his skateboard and tries to escape a bunch of Matrix agents. Yeah. And just the way that everything sort of blurs and shifts and goes a little bit wobbly. It's that really reminds... loose, really kinetic style. Yeah. Yeah. Which and this works. Has that on page for, works for people um, running away. Works for for people. You know trying to it works to create a sense of urgency and a lot of energy yeah despite the fact that everything in this comic is kind of still and it's a really off-putting odd yeah uh, like synergy between the two styles and it works really well for this Mm. yeah i really enjoyed that so yeah leon pick up winnebago yeah pick it up so i can talk about it in great detail like i want to because oh man it it's so 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 sinister it really is like th- there's points in it where like the way it's it's composed it just feels so sinister and if you i mean we all we all knew this was going to be about witchcraft from book one right um if yes. you've yeah if you've if you've seen any like witchcraft based horror movies demon like uh, sort of like uh demon cult horror movies um this sort of hits all the correct notes all the correct notes um and it, it's something that i've like i think I, it's something that i've been hungry for for a while without knowing i've been hungry for it because i do yes. enjoy that type of horror so and it's yeah. not like anything else out there yeah nothing out nothing like this right now um so i guess that brings us into another book that we've both read ray sure yeah Which one's that generation gone I'd, I'm really sorry. I didn't get time to catch up on that one. I do oh. have it in the stack, and I'll I'll make sure I've had it read for the next issue. And I I guess issue number two will be out by that time. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Um, I pr- it's a big book, man. It is. It's, it's a, really thick. It's, it's a it's a stacked <laughs> issue. Is you get yeah. a lot for your money with this one when you pick up issue one, and it's a really really great story as well. It's a really good strong start to a cool and promising story about secret military projects and weird stuff involving programming people. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 got some really Kojima esque ideas about it, which is why I'm so surprised you've not read it yet. Oh, okay. It was more a time thing than anything yeah. else. But I, one thing, because I, I did try and start it and then I had to put it down because I had to go. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I noticed was the front panel leads directly into the main story. Yes, straight away. the cover. Like, the cover is like, it's like they couldn't fit it all into the book. It's like, we can't yeah. have a cover. We've got to start it here. Like, so, I've never seen that before. Where the, No, it's, it's really interesting. It's straight in. And even yeah. when you look at the front cover afterwards, it is basically a panel taken out yeah. by the full page. Like, it, 
it's it's kind of cool. It's, it's a really interesting idea, device. I really like that it. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Mm. And it, it's very, very, very Kojima. And it's got notes. That, what's that film with the kids that find that, that, that kind of like is like an homage to Akira where the kids find the thing? Chronicle. Superpowers. Chronicle, yeah. that's it, yeah. It's a bit of Chronicle about it as well. Oh, okay. Um, cool. that I, well, this is how I feel about it anyway. I feel that it's got a little bit of Chronicle about it. And um, it's, it's really good, really interesting. The artwork is like, it's this really bare art style. It's stark and graphic. And it follows these three teenage hackers and this guy that works for the uh, US military everyone has their own reason for doing what they do this guy that works for the US military he wants to do things that are more experimental um, but he's at odds with his boss over that and again I, I get it reminds me of Kojima in a way I think that's all that needs to be said yeah yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a, a great endorsement to begin with no yeah it's great um and just to be clear we're talking about Hideo Kojima as in yeah, the guy yeah. who uh, came up with Metal Gear Solid yeah I, I just I just ramble and I don't signpost things yeah Hideo Kojima <laughs> um, but the um, the writer um, is uh, Alish Cott who has done a lot of stuff um, previously he's really really like he, he's been quite prolific actually Um people sort of credit him with trying to bring a bit more philosophy and a bit more psychedelic stuff into modern comics. Hmm. So, but he's, he's, um, he's done some, some really, really interesting, he's done some pretty cool stuff actually. So he's done some, he did some Suicide Squad stuff. He did some, um, he did some other stuff on Image, um, which also got some pretty high praise so he's 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 pretty cool writer and he's doing and this this shows it actually this shows his talent so yeah we're into that and we're into the art as well which is uh andre arujo who i think he did some stuff for wicked and divine might have just done a cover but oh, cool. yeah okay. he's he's pretty cool he's his art his art is great in this book i love it i love the, the I mean, stark bear style and the way that it's so graphic and just nice it's great um, I mean, there's there's another one that we've both read, I yeah. think, <laughs> which I picked up on a whim just because I was intrigued by the title, Centipede, number Ooh, one. Yes, yes. Yeah, I actually found some time to read that because you asked me if I had, and I felt guilty that I hadn't. Um, well, <laughs> you go first. What did you think about this? I thought it was all right. I thought it was really good. I, <laughs> I liked it. I liked the idea of, like, the last surviving guy being me. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's roll back. So it's basically Centipede based on the old Atari game, Centipede. Yeah, yeah. And apparently not for the first time. Apparently there was a previous one from the 1970s or something, or 1980s. Yeah. Um, which is, it's, this isn't a continuation of, but it's just taking the IP and then kind of running with it. Yeah. And it's about a lone survivor on a non-Earth planet that is, but that has basically been shaped by Earth um, popular culture, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and the protagonist has invented an imaginary friend to talk to which is us the reader and it's just him basically going around and finally plucking up the courage to get some revenge or get some vengeance for <laughs> i was going to say humanity but it's not humanity no, it's whatever yeah. manity is <laughs> manity uh, it's, it's weird man i don't <laughs> it's strange because it's also kind of bland yeah, but he's but ch- he's trying not to die and it's quite it, <laughs> some of it's quite um you know when he describes like his childhood and stuff mm. it's quite it's quite it strikes a chord it's quite touching 
like the, like the, he's the last lone survivor and he's like look i was never i never amounted to much you know <laughs> i'm not anything special i was a i was a slow starter i got two into earth stories read a lot of comics <laughs> and now i'm here on my own <laughs> it, it's got like elements of comedy about it it's um this is why i enjoyed it because it's just a bit out there basically yeah, and it's very tongue in cheek. Yeah, and it, yeah. It knows. It knows what it, it knows is. that it's taking an IP that has very little to it. To yeah, I like. I like the idea um, that because uh, I think they're doing. They've done another comic that's based on an Atari game as well, but I can't remember what that is. Quite recently, they released another one, but I like the idea of taking something that has little to no premise or story and trying to give it one. I like I like the the challenge that that sounds like something that'd be quite fun to do as a writer. Like, oh, you know that you know that video game Centipede, yeah, yeah. Can you can you make a story about it? It's like <laughs> someone makes. I like the idea that that someone makes a video game with no rhyme or reason to it, and then they just task someone with making a story up around it. Because when I was a like kid, whatever you want around it, couldn't you? Yeah, because because when I was a kid, I used to play like these games on the Sega Mega Drive and stuff that had little to no story. You were given a basic theme, like a character name. He has to get to the end of the gauntlet because he wants Object X to keep it out of the hands of Bad Guy Y, and you don't know much other than that. So I would, in my head, as I'm playing it, create all kinds of weird stuff around that. Hmm. And I like I you know I used to en- I used to enjoy doing that. And I enjoy reading it as well when other people have done it. So yeah, <laughs> well, yeah it's an interesting concept. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be picking up number two, but I'm not disappointed that I picked up number one. Mostly, or not mostly, partly because uh, the centerfold advert was for a John Wick comic that's coming out in September, um, which I didn't know about until then. So I mean, I'll keep my eyes out for that next time. So you're only happy about it because it told you about something you actually want to read. I mean, not only happy, <laughs> but I, it brought me onto that so that's, no. that's kind of cool I, um, I, yeah i've got a couple more that i want to kind of rush through yeah. just otherwise i'm going to eat up too much time go but for okay. it i picked up secret weapons number one and mm-hmm. two which is by eric heiserer and raul allen yeah um basically it it's like another future mutants type thing uh based on so basically there's a bunch of kids who have mutant powers but they were taken by a mysterious corporation and then abandoned because they weren't powerful enough to justify um, maintaining them and so they were just abandoned to some mysterious evil that's trying to capture them and kill them and the secret weapon the uh, the titular secret weapon is a woman called Livewire whose goal is to try and save these kids and unravel the mystery of who's going around trying to trying to murder them that's it in a nutshell it's really cool I love the art style um, the basically what got brought me onto it was the covers which are really vibrant and like the first one is a bright pink and the second one's a bright orange uh i don't know i haven't i need think i need to go through them one more time just to get the feel of them but they were interesting i would recommend you check them out if you like those kind of stories about mutant kids and the next one i want to talk about is uh clue issue number one i picked up issue number two as well but i haven't had a chance to read it um but basically if you guys like murder mysteries you will love this book it is meta as hell so basically this comic book knows that we know what clue or aka cluedo in the uk it knows that we know what it is and all of the associated tropes with the board game cluedo and it's basically the same trope about these guests who have got the names of colors um having a dinner party and then one of them gets murdered um the butler upton knows he's in a comic 
but he also knows that the guests don't know that they're in a comic. And then when a murder occurs, which Upton knows is about to happen, but it doesn't happen in the way that he expects or when he expects it to happen. And it's just it's just a mind mess the entire way through. And the unique thing about the first issue is that depending on which variant cover you picked up, you'll get a slightly different ending. Which, I don't know if it's a way to just sell more comics, but my ending was pretty cool, and I'm looking forward to reading number two as soon as I'm done recording this with you but, guys. But how it's, do you know if you, when you start number two, if that's going to follow on from the ending you've just read? Because that's going to be really jarring. No, I think it's three separate things that are happening at the same time at the end of issue one, oh. which then... Oh. Uh, simultaneously happening in the story and then lead See, on that, to stuff that happens in that would annoy two. me <laughs> because i think it's annoying me but i'm also kind of on yeah. the high of how much i like how self-knowing this story is it's, it's a nice isn't that isn't that also a nod to the cinematic release of the film clue where uh, uh for uh, different um cinemas had different reels put on the end so they had different endings yeah, and I, I think it doesn't quite follow it through the way that the film did because it's not actually the the ending of the story. It's just the ending of this first section. I don't know if they're going to do it again at any point. I kind of hope not because I don't want to have to buy like five different issues of the same, so five different copies of the same issue just for the endings. But yeah, maybe I can find what the other the other two endings for issue one were. But yeah, I'd, I'd recommend this if you can pick it up on digital or whatever because I don't know if there's many copies left. It took me a while to hunt down issue number one. Highly recommend that. Um, and then the last one I wanted to get to, which I believe Leon has read as well, which is the thing that I've been gushing over the most this entire month, is Ms. Marvel. And I've had the chance to read all of volumes one to four so far, I think. Um, but Leon, have you got that far? No, um, with this book, uh, well, this this uh, relaunch series at uh, the time, I, I think I... I read the first two volumes, uh, and I, I recently reread volume one just because I thought yeah, it's been a while, and there's uh, and there's a lot of interesting relevancy with this um, this comic. So I decided to dip back, and with the hope being that I would uh, read this whole run because I know I think it was last year they started the second phase of the run. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so I mean. It, rereading it has been an interesting experience because it's not really been um, a case of uh, rediscovery uh, it's, or um, seeing things that I didn't notice before but instead it's been a nice uh, way to sort of delve in and soak up the world a bit more um, and I love what um, G. Willow Wilson's doing with the the character in this in the first volume um, and and what happens uh, in the next one as well. But like, um, I just think that as a sort of fresh origin story um, for this um, character, um, Kamala Khan, Pakistani American uh, Muslim teenager who um, is a fan of the Avengers, um, uh, Captain Marvel in particular, and then uh, suddenly. Um, after a crazy fog, um, suddenly starts manifesting uh, like shapeshifty powers. Um, I think it's it's a, it's a cool sort of um, play on that sort of Spider-Man trope of being like a high school superhero and like having to get your homework done while also fighting crime. And she's a, very much a neighborhood hero, like uh, Peter Parker is. Um, 
But I, I think one of the like genius things about um, these books are, I think they really capture that sort of high school. And it's it's silly to say, obviously, I never went to like uh, American high school, especially not in uh, Jersey City. But like, I think they they capture what it's what your mindset's like when you're uh, that age, um, and how you uh, you only see so far. You can't see. Uh, like the forest of the trees like you only care about the next big master and you want to be popular uh you you want you want you want to be accepted and there's a lot of interesting uh things covered and like um commentary on what it's like not only being like a teenager but also being like a, a minority teenager and on top of that also being uh a muslim america um, teenager in america and sort of the way those different things intersect, but also the fight between, well, not the fight, but the tension between coming from like a religious home um, mm-hmm. and interacting with like a more secular world and the push and pull you have on that with like family responsibility and culture, but also being um, being like Western uh, and wanting, not identifying as a Western person and not, uh, as uh, a Pakistani American or or whatever, like um, I think it's it's quite cool how it uh, how it explores that tension, but also it doesn't make it this weird sort of uh, so boxy. Like we have a message type thing. Mm-hmm. She's an actual character. Uh, she makes mistakes. She doesn't think things through, um, but ultimately she's a, a nice person who wants to do good by people and um wants to do well by her parents wants to do well by her friends and wants to to keep um the little guy safe and look out for them and i i think they really sort of introduced you to this world in such a nice way and i like how um lo-fi it is and um in the in the earlier books anyway the disconnection she really has with the wider sort of Avengers Marvel world and how she's just sort of doing her own thing in Jersey City and um, I think that good shouts to uh, Adrian Al uh, Fona who's um, who's art I, I, I just there's something really mm, just I know there's something sort of nostalgic about the art it reminds me of comics reading comics when I was like a teen I think and I can't even remember or pinpoint what what which actual titles but there's a uh, there's sort of like a warmth to it um that i quite like and that's um like accentuated by uh, ian herring's color which has this nice sort of natural sort of not really muted tones because at times they're very colorful but um i know ne- nothing's really sorry, nothing's really no. drab <laughs> sorry I didn't, I didn't mean to keep interrupting i was gonna say it's not shiny like the the regular run of marvel comics it's got like this when you say muted it's not it's not not vibrant. It's just it's not trying to be hyper real. It's trying to be um, slightly more cartoony. And yeah, it's like... it's more like down to earth and like mm. I, I'm at the beginning and I had it this time on the on the reread at first like on like long shots like when people are in the background. Uh, Alfona once likes to do like this sort of cartoony 
like dot eyes and like smiley face type thing. And at, at first, it really sort of jarred me because I like close up and in mid shots, the art is really cool and designed, and everyone has really cool um, uh, descriptive features, expressive features. Sorry, but um, but then after a while, you sort of uh, for me anyway, I just sort of gelled with that cartoony style, and I know it, it adds a bit of a, um, a charm um, that I think missing elsewhere um like i mean like in other comics i mean uh that would deal with like a similar subject so yeah um it's quite a nice read and um i'm definitely re-hooked to read the rest of this run and move on to the next one what about yourself yeah i mean i've i've got all the way up to volume four and it's getting more and more impressive as i go along and like i think i gush enough about volume one in a previous episode um, and how much having this Asian immigrant experience and how it relates to me because you know being a first generation Indian there's a lot of things that she goes through with her parents that are very you know that touch upon things that I've felt as an Indian growing up in England and that's it's amazing to see that I think one of the things I tweeted to G Willow Wilson which got a response which I was over the moon about was how they use this this language that's so familiar to me but in a way that they don't have to explain it like her her mum uses the word beta which is like a term of endearment to your children and it's just lovely to see that in a comic i've never seen that before and it's i don't know it just warms my heart um and yet yeah, what you were talking about with the artwork um, it's got a bit of whimsy to it, which I think, like you said, is missing from other works. And I like that it keeps shifting. It slightly shifts styles, like it plays with the borders of what it can get away with, with the style that it's it's set up. Um, and I love I love Kamala Khan's expressions. Like she's constantly shifting her features and everyone's just got like this strange, funny, like cute look on their face all the time, which I just, I love. Um, the more I read from this, the more... Um, not adult. I don't think the the word adult is what I'm looking for. I think it's it slightly heavier themes start to play in. So, for example, volume three uh, seems to be a little bit more about personal disaster um, as opposed to external disaster. So it's things that are happening in her life that she has to learn how to deal with as she learns to deal with her powers as well and how she can be the best version of herself while coping with all of this. And it's just, it's pitch perfect. Um, and I really think you'll you'll enjoy it from here on and I can't wait to pick up volume 5 and I think it's all the way up to volume 7 now so I've got got stuff to catch up on check you check you guys out I put volume 5 and I've not even started it yet which is pretty shameful <laughs> to be honest cuz you guys have been banging on about this and I really do need to check this book out I really do it is on the list I promise you it's just I've I need to read it I do especially like hearing you guys gush over it twice now and me me not even starting it that's that's shameful <laughs> I mean, there's so many elements to it that I think speak to a lot of different people. And I know I keep going on about how I relate to her because she's a, a Pakistani character and that, you know, that has tangents to, to my lifestyle. But aside from that, the way that it, it links into the rest of the Marvel Universe and just her character as being slightly like this adorable dork and the cast of characters in her life that have to, you know, that bounce off her behavior. And it's just, I just love it. I think it's such a positive story and it's, she's a really great hero. Um, with just how much good she's trying to do with the power that she's been given. And it's great. I just love it. We need more happy heroes. It's yeah. Definitely. We need more happy this... heroes. None of this, none of this like, you know, super hardcore angst stuff now, man. We need more mm. happy heroes. We've got a lot of hardcore angst. 
with heroes nowadays a lot of like real like hardcore angst and i think it's nice to have you know the occasional as i term it happy hero so yeah i mean and she's like vulnerable and strong and flawed and well-meaning and everything all at the same time without it being too heavy-handed on Mm. any one of those things he's just a a kid who's trying to do the best with it and yeah i don't know how many more times i can say i love it so let's let's find something else to move on yeah um so i mean curse words right (laughs) yeah Yeah. so i mean i'm on issue six now and you guys have just read the first tp trade paperback so you guys are at issue five right at the end of issue five yeah yeah so um what are you guys thinking so far so i'll i'll sort i want to i want to soak in (laughs) what you guys have got to say to me about where this is going because i love this book and this is like this is one of the things that i'm i most look forward to each month so let's hear it oh you're loving this aren't you yeah you're loving hearing (laughs) that you've you've recommended something that i've absolutely fallen in love with it's it's really good man <laughs> like it's just it's everything that i look for like we were just talking about um like vibrant and happy stories like okay it's not quite on the same happy scale as ms marvel but it's still like got a positivity and a vibrancy and a non-dour non-emo like colorful cast of characters and storylines that i just adore i think it's brilliant um, Leon, you say some stuff about it because I'm just going to hyperbole. <laughs> well, it's it, it's a confident title. It's a confident book. Like the writing is confident and fun, uh, like sly and wise. Um, the art is like page after page, um, just really well composed, and uh, like the framing uh, backs up the more the more funny elements as well. Like I think just every the whole team are working together um, to pull off um, something that I, I know just on paper the idea is ridiculous, <laughs> but um, but like and I say that like on paper it is on paper and the <laughs> idea is ridiculous, but they're making it work in such such a good way. I mean, this is such an easy recommend uh, recommendation. Like, I, I don't think there's any sort of prerequisites really it's not like oh are you into this type thing are you into this <laughs> are you into this like you just read the first issue and see how you feel because i think it will grab you and i because i think humor is really good at that but i mean it, it it handles a lot of like interesting themes and there's a lot of um like smart character stuff going on in like from uh, issue to issue but um yeah, it's tough because I'm, I'm trying to move away from... Well, not trying to fully move away, but, like, I find reading one issue month after month, like, increasingly hard. <laughs> and, I mean, this goes across the board, but, like, it is hard with this title as well. So I did wait a couple months and then ca- I read the first two, I think, two or three, and then I waited until the trade was out and, and then caught up on the rest. But, um, yeah, it's tough because I... I want to wait until the next trade, but I mean, this story is going, so it's going to be tough. But yeah, that's a full recommendation for me. You can't afford to wait for the next trade, man. Pick up issue six. Yeah, man. If you keep the hype train rolling, keep the keep the hype train rolling, man. Team Margaret. No, um, (laughs) I I do really love this book, and um, so like issue six is uh, it's 
don't know if it's not really the start of a new arc. It's kind of like a direct continuation from the events at the end of issue five. Um, it, uh, it introduces some really interesting new characters and we get to see some cool things, some funny scenes. Um, there's things I want to talk about and things I want to, I want to like describe to you guys because I think that I think it's really, really wry and cool, but I can't because you've not read it yet and it would just totally spoil it. Um, what in broad strokes should we go through like what you guys like the first five like events so far like what do you guys reckon i mean one of the things that i wanted to say about it is how good it is at building the world that he's fallen into like the world that he's from and the world that he's an alien as a part of and and sometimes when you have these fish out of water magic stories it doesn't like the rest of the world doesn't react to the new magical thing in it um either realistically or in a way that's entertaining or you know just makes what's the word we use a lot of verisimilitude is that right leon you would verisimilitude yeah that's the one the what the, the thing that makes it like a a decent replica of reality and truth within the context of the story and this really nails that like the way that he's brought into the world and how we see his introduction to it and then his growth in it and what it means for him this guy a wizard essentially um how he has power gains power and uses power in a world that doesn't have magic aside from him yeah Um, it all just works really well and it just makes a lot of sense and again because it's funny it kind of helps ease that that thing in Mm. i was just really impressed that i didn't feel uh put out by any of that in a way that I sometimes do with magical stories, just because it doesn't always sit right. Yeah, and this this does it perfectly. And uh, there's it very bright, very vibrant colours in the book as well. It's just like pops off the page, and it's just what you're saying about the way that they sort of introduce him to the world and the way the world reacts to him as well. Like, ah, uh, I can't <laughs> say it without spoiling the whole story. Which, come on, can we spoil it? Can we talk about it a bit more deeper? Nah, there's no there's there's no need to really. I think enough the the hype that we've sold it. I think yeah, people who've been listening to the show, um, they know our our thoughts and feelings on that. And if they gel with us on any of the recommendations we've given thus thus far, um, they're going to try it out. I mean, it's definitely definitely worth picking things, up. Things are getting intense, especially where it, like up to issue six now. Things are getting intense. It's everything sort of like sort of cranking it up a gear. It's, it's getting, it's getting really good. Hurry up and read issue six. <laughs> <laughs> All right then, I'll get right um, on that. <laughs> yeah, which um, so I guess that brings me on to um, another one from Image Comics that I'm really excited about, which is Kill the Minotaur, and we're on issue two now. And again, things are getting intense. Things are sort of like stepping up a notch because this is where we actually get into the maze. So we're in the maze now and we're seeing um, some really cool things and some really cool ideas and a really fresh take on this ancient tale. It's like a real modern horror twist to it and it feels original and still remains familiar, which I think is really cool. Um, The colours and the art just great and there's this real sort of like because it's it's like things 
things that shouldn't be organic are organic and living in a way and and you get this from the artwork from page one in the book you're like there's something not right about those walls and stuff happens and yeah it's just it's got this um cronenbergy gagerish quality about it that just makes it like great as like a an, an homage to modern horror and at the same time like a modern monster movie modern horror movie and at the same time it's still the story of the minotaur which i i really 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 enjoyed did either of you guys pick up issue one at all no i didn't think no oh you should it's great um but yeah i mean that that is this is what i'm enjoying about it so far again it's another horror comic but it's a horror comic that's rooted in a timeless tale but they've done something so fresh with it it doesn't just feel like you're rereading the minotaur minotaur story and issue two particularly introduced some really fresh new ideas that i don't want to talk too much about now because i will spoil um and the last one on my list which i don't think either of you two have read again now is uh Gru play of the gods now i picked this up uh on a whim because it was an issue one and it looked interesting and it's got stan sakai's name on it so i thought yeah we'll check this out um it's um it's actually um sergio aragones or sergio aragones aragones um he's a um he's a really celebrated uh comic artist actually and writer he's um he's won multiple awards and grew has actually been going for quite a long time i hadn't realized actually and it's quite i'm quite um i'm quite sad about the fact that i haven't discovered grew before now because it's really really fun it's got this kind of like Asterix, the Gaul style quality about it. And uh, Gru is this, uh, he's this barbarian who everywhere he goes, you get the feeling that disaster follows. And uh, he's like a really powerful fighter. You know, people are scared of him, but he's also really stupid. So it's easy to trick this guy. Um, and he has this pet dog called Referto. Um, Referto is a little bit smarter than Gru, but not enough to make a difference. Um, and this story, Gru Play of the Gods, so this is part one of a, um, like a, a, an ongoing story in the Gru, in Gru's world, um, starts off with, um, some refugees who have come to a city, um, to escape disaster and stuff that's going on in their homeland uh which you well you get in the book it says they're getting they're coming here to escape Gru because Gru has been there and they're like oh no it's Gru let's all ship out but it's got this really interesting take on the way religion like other religions treat each other so if you go to uh, specifically Christianity actually the way Christianity treats other religions around the world especially Christianity as part of a state so it's like our religion is the one true religion everything else must be and it's quite it's quite good satire of that um when these refugees turn up and they've got their own religion and these guys are like wait no they can't have that it's like undermining our religion in our state and and you know we must uh we must we must keep hold of our control and it's just um there's this this there's a line in here where it's like uh 
Diothos uh, demands that he be recognised for what he is, the one and only true God, and he be venerated. What do we do to those who do not love him and in me- his message of love and compassion, torture and slay them? Which I, I think is great. And it's it's like a really good comedy comic and it's done in, in such a way that it's really clever satire. Because then later on in the book, these same priests who were talking about how these people coming to their land and bringing their religion are wrong and should be um, herded up and imprisoned and you know made to worship the one true God are then talking about sailing off to the new worlds that they found and imposing the one true God on people that have their own religion in their own country. Which it's obviously like a a, a really sort of like um on the a little bit on the nose but a really good satire of the way christianity has treated the world throughout the throughout the ages and i think it's pretty cool and i I was really enjoying it i was really enjoying reading it i was enjoying the comedy i like grew i like his obsession with cheese dip and the way that he um the way he's so easily led and well-meaning but at the same time um he has a bit of a, a he, you know, he's 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 a really powerful warrior. And he's a bit of a like people people are scared of him. You know, they're scared to have him. They're like, we don't want him walking around our town. Uh, there's a really great bit at the beginning where he walks into an inn and the entire inn clears out and they leave all the food here. And it's like, oh, well, you know, it's nice of them to leave all this food out for me, kind of thing. And he doesn't even get it that they're scared of him. It's just like, oh yeah, your reputation's kind of procedure grew, which is what his dog says to him. Um, but yeah, I love it. I do. I did love that. It's a fun little book, and I will be picking up the rest of it. And I, I think you guys should read it as well because I think you'll enjoy it. Sounds like the kind of thing I'd look at once the the trades out. Yeah, yeah. So no, I'll, it's I'll cool. It it's cool. Yeah, uh, that's Dark Horse Comics, by the way. And the artwork is like really cartoony, and uh, the way the way they draw the gods actually, and, and some of the designs for the gods are pretty cool as well. I like it. Um. So. I guess uh, it's just whatever's left on Leon's list now. Well, yeah, um, I won't take too long because I'm uh, aware of time, but uh, I'll just briefly uh, cover cover these. So, um, while I was rereading uh, Miss Marvel, uh, I decided I wanted to... Like, there, there's certain comics which I've, I've read the first volume of a couple of years ago uh, from, like, writers that I liked, uh, superhero comics, and I wanted to continue with them, and I never did at the time. So as with Miss Marvel, um, I thought now was a good time to sort of jump in and continue. So the first one, uh, I mean, they're both; these two are both uh, Gail Simone um, comics. Um, first one was the first volume of the New Fifty Two uh, Batgirl from twenty eleven. Mm-hmm. So the first trade is called um, the Darkest Reflection. And the art's done by Ardu and CF, and uh, well, the pencils are done by CF, and then the ink's done by Vicente Sufuentes. But um, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because as it's a relaunch um, after a big event, they're able to sort of reset a couple of things. Um, so it continues on, it's like three years or so after the killing joke, uh, and Barbara, as um, she's regained her uh, ability to walk uh, after being paralysed by the Joker in The, the Killing Joke. Um, and the book's very much about her dealing with the PTSD of that event, um, but also, like, um, for lack of a better term, like, gaining her footing being 
uh, Batgirl again because, like, some uh, listeners might be aware that she, uh, Barbara Gordon goes on to be Oracle um, after she's paralyzed and plays a big role there in the, like, the Birds of Prey and so on. But of this, this is a reimagining where what would happen if, well, after this big event, what would happen if she uh, was able to don the cowl again? And, and it's very interesting. Like, it's very internal. So a, a lot of it um, is sort of her inner monologue of her dealing with certain issues. And in those six issues, it is very much her reacquainting herself with um, Gotham City and people being surprised of uh, like her return, and she's dealing not just she's dealing with like a crazy sort of mind control plot that's going on, but she's also dealing with like various people in her life, um, like being worried about her in different elements. So like her dad, Commissioner Gordon, who's is worried about her as Barbara, uh, and is is. Uh, because she's just moving out in the first issue and is is like unsure if she's ready to be back after finishing um, physiotherapy and been able to walk again. It's not been too long. Um, I think the physio, I think the miracle cure that they explain in there happens like a year before this story, so it's all very new for them. Um, so he's dealing with that. You have other people turn up, such as. Uh, well, I won't go into too much detail, but other other heroes show up who she has a history with, and yeah, all the men around her are, are very worried, and um, it's more about her sort of coming to the realization that she can't really rely on uh, others; she has to do this herself. So it's it's, it's very um, like affirming and very like not pandery. It's very interesting. Um, looking into the psyche of someone dealing with something like this. And it seems like it's um, Gelsman's way to sort of deal with what was a very controversial um, uh, event that happened with, I mean, we were talking last week about like fridging and which is uh, yeah. a term that Gelsman herself um, came up with women in refrigerators Um Whereas, uh, like female characters um, dying or, or or being abused to um, activate or like um, cause actualize, yeah, like to actualize or ca- cause a male hero or protagonist to to take action, uh, and that's essentially what happened with uh, Barbara Gordon in the Killing Joke, and it feels like Simone's found a way to. Um, Keep that, um, keep that history, but but like change it into something more positive, and it's someone overcoming a, a previous, um, uh, not tragedy, but a, a previous um, horrible event, uh, and being able to move past it, but also learn the lessons of everything that happened associated with that. So it's very interesting. And there's a lot of sort of cool references in there. There's like a really cool sort of um, into the dragon reference in there. Um, and the interactions with the people that we know and the, and the new characters are really good. And, and it doesn't, I mean, I've complained on, on here before about some stuff feeling like comic-y in a way where there's loads of gaps of logic and it's sort of like lots of relating to like, yeah, and an issue 
200 and da da da. And this doesn't have that at all, even though it includes that, that history. Like I mentioned in, in episode two, where uh, we're talking about Black, uh, Black Panther and how Tallahassee Coates kept all the history and used that as being the history of the character and used it to, to build and move the character forward. I feel that Gail Simone does that here as well. And it's um, equally um, successful. In, in how it works. So um, if you've not read it or if you're interested, and especially with this um, Batgirl movie coming out in the next couple of years, uh, Josh Whedon directing, um, I'll definitely check it, check it out. It's a very good starting point um, for, for a really, um, a really smart way to reboot the character. Um, and like the same before the art is really cool. It has this really, nice vibe and I don't know everything's like striking but also not um not really esoteric or drawing attention to itself in a in any weird way it's more like really expressive um action beats and and and, and body body shaping so yeah I, I quite like it um I'd recommend it and then I also um read Gelsman's Wonder Woman run which was back in 2008. So um, the main run, the main uh, arc that I read was The Circle, which is one that I had recommended me, to me before, but never got around to properly reading it. So with this, this is, this is completely different from uh, the Batgirl issue, where as the Batgirl is the starting of, an, of a new sort of incarnation of the character this arc itself sort of picks up in the middle of a volume in the middle of a volume so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on and like not really lots of editor notes but there's a lot of stuff in play so there's these uh, super intelligent gorillas who uh, have a relationship to Grodd uh, and they're about you've got Nazis as well as Captain Nazi, <laughs> a bit on the nose name for that guy when he picked his names, but he, I guess he wanted to be the number one. But um, so you've got them, and they're not introduced as new. They're like, uh, uh-uh, these guys are back. And having not read like previous incarnations, I'm like, okay, so this is the thing. So it's, it's all very comicy in the way I was talking about before. But you kind of just go with the flow because the main. Uh, the the main like crux of the story is on Femiscara and it and it's m- mostly to deal with uh, these uh, telling the story of these uh, four warriors who were part of um, Wonder Woman's mother. What's her name again? It's uh, Hippolyta. Hippolyta. Yeah, um, they're part of her like supreme guard, and what that is is an exploration of like sisterhood betrayal um honor versus responsibility and you have these two stories playing out and the wonder woman story is she's got the secret identity she's diana prince and she's working with a cia like um group um and then you have the stuff on the island and those stories start to converge but like yeah the stuff on the island is really interesting and it's like very like literary um there's a lot of 
uh, what's the word? There's a lot of like poetry, really, and there's a lot of um, evocative uh, descriptions and uh, feelings aren't just um, stated. Um, in, instead, there are allusions made and allegory. So yeah, it's quite. Um, it's not as quick as a read as something, uh, say, like Miss Marvel, which is set contemporarily and people are just doing X, Y, Z and dealing with that. But this one, it's a lot more weight on it. And considering these are people who live for centuries, it, it makes sense. So, um, yeah, while I wasn't as fond of the earlier, like, Wonder Woman stuff that's going on, um, when things start to converge, and this is a four-part story, uh, when things start to converge, it all starts to come together in a way that, uh, that I, I quite liked in the end. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting because this is like a nine-year-old book. Um, but, I don't know, like elements of it I could see kind of being adapted uh, as, as part of a, like, a cinematic storyline. But, yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting read, definitely, and... The, the trouble with that is that it makes me want to go back to the beginning of the volume and start catching up. So it's like, man, I'm just buried in buried in old trades. You guys oh, are buried man. in new comics. I'm buried in old trades. Two, but, um... 2008 was nine years ago, and I remember seeing <laughs> I remember seeing an NME cover about um, Nevermind being like 12, 15 years old or something. Because they do it. I'm sure the NME do it every summer where they get they get en- they get Nevermind out and they're like, oh, this Nirvana album's like this old now. But like, I remember seeing an NME cover like uh, years ago. It must be years ago now, but it doesn't feel like that long ago. It's like, oh yeah, Nevermind is like 10 years old or whatever. I know you're turning um, 30 soon, Greg. We don't need to bond the rest. Of you. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're old. I get it. Yeah. I know, but it bums me out when Leon turns around and says, "Oh yeah, it was in 2008, and it was like nine years ago." <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've. Um, quite a lot to talk about this time i guess with all the stuff that we've got around to so um just very quickly um let's bang through some of the stuff we're looking forward to so um tomorrow well today if you're listening to this podcast on the day of release which will be the 26th of july um we have uh the conclusion of numb wolf which is numb wolf number four uh, Redneck number four is out today as well. So if you've been listening to me ramble in previous podcasts, I've talked about Namwolf, I've talked about Redneck. Um, issue number four, both those out now. There's some really nice revelations coming up in Redneck. Some um, some really good stuff about certain characters that is quite interesting that I'm looking forward to reading. And I really want to see how Namwolf ends up because it's been a really fun, crazy monster movie roller coaster and i'm quite sad that it's ending but at the same time i'm excited to see what happens um ray you got some stuff to look forward to yeah following on from leon's girl simone binge um looking forward to crosswind number two i think i talked about issue number one last time i was really impressed with it uh yeah i'll be picking that up i'm sure there's more but i'll probably tweet about what i pick up tomorrow because it's not fresh in my mind right now but that's the that's the main one i'm going for yeah yeah i'm uh i'm gonna be tweeting some pictures and some some lists tomorrow when i get round to it of the things that i'm going to be picking up so yeah um there's an um, and shirtless bear fighter 2 comes out as well right is that tomorrow i believe so if not 
If yeah. Not the twenty sixth of July, then the week after. I didn't. Yeah, I thought. I thought that was August. Shut us back. Okay, that's probably I August think it's August. Then. Yeah, but we'll see. Um, so we've also had a question to answer. That's right. We've had something sent to us by a listener. So we had an email and a question. So this is uh, an email from James. Big fat spoiler warning if you haven't yet read Spider-Man Rain. And uh, he starts with, Hi guys, thanks for doing the show. It's a good job of keeping me awake. It's doing a good job of keeping me awake during some of the duller moments in work. Uh, I think this week's podcast is the first one that featured a book which I had read. I'll start by admitting that I haven't read The Dark Knight Returns, so straight away I don't have that to compare it to. I may try to pick a copy of it up at some point in the future, though. As for Rain, I enjoyed it a little more than you guys did. For me, it was a different take on Spider-Man that, as you said, showed a possibility of what it'd be like, what Peter would be like, or what he'd be like as an old man. He says what he'd be like as an old man in the email. Poor Peter is lonely and broken, crushed by his secrets after having lost everyone in his life. Aunt May and Uncle Ben are long gone, and he blames himself for killing MJ. He's constantly seeing her at the apartment, talking to her. He even feels that he has to lie to her about being fired from his job. Which is one of the things that I... Did I, did I mention that in the last podcast where he's talking to MJ? Yeah. Like he sees her ghost everywhere, yeah. Um, I liked how he blames the radiation as his, the cause of her illness. And although Peter says that this is what caused her to die, we'll never know. Peter certainly has a record for attributing every bad thing which happens to him back to his actions no matter what. Or every bad thing which happens, not to him necessarily. Every bad thing which happens is in the email, sorry. Back to his actions no matter what. So he may not be the most reliable of narrators. Either way, the explanation is reminiscent of Dr. Manhattan and Janie in Watchmen. The artwork in the book is very hit and miss, but it was nice to see a rare take on what the characters look like in their future. Doc Ock looked great as a zombie, and Venom is looking fantastic for his age. See, somebody else enjoyed Doc Ock. Somebody <laughs> else enjoyed Doc Ock, not just me. I think you're probably right about the story being a little jarring at times, and that other bits could have been written a little better. I do wonder if uh, it would have worked better if, it, if he had died in the explosion rather than giving it a happy ending. So, um, he also asks us a question, so that's his thoughts on Rain. He asks us a question. He says, um, I realise that I haven't actually asked a question yet, so here's a nice easy one. Who are your favourite comic characters and which books best exemplify why they deserve the title? So, guys. <laughs> Spider-Man would be my favourite comic character. Yep. Uh, definitely not Spider-Man Reign. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, uh, just to go back at just a second, because one of the things I really like that James makes a point about is how Peter attributes every bad thing which happens back to his own actions. That's something we didn't address. That's a really valid point. Yeah. And about him not being the most reliable of narrators, that's... I might have to go back and reread it with... In a different light, yeah. I think, yeah. I think this, is, this is why I might have enjoyed it more than you two, because I, I had this in mind, but I didn't actually mention any of this. When we, when we were right. talking about it, this is one of the things that I kind of omitted and forgot to say. <laughs> about about it being the fact that this is how Peter is. This is what Peter does to himself. So yeah, in various Spider-Man stories that I've read, but yeah, I think I think reading it in that light might help a little bit. I mean, it's obviously not. We know it's not the best Spider-Man book ever. We know that. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to change yeah. the things that I didn't like. Yeah, about it, exactly. I think it, it's not. It it's might... not. Not going to fix the glaring holes in the in the roof, is it? But you know. <laughs> well, well, <clears throat> the 
to go back to a, a Spider-Man comic that I think does best exemplify why they deserve the title of my favorite comic character, I really liked um, Ultimate Spider-Man because I think that's one of the first full runs or something that I ever read. And it's just perfect from start to finish. I think it's widely known as one of the better, more complete Spider-Man stories. And the fact that it ties together all the mythology that's been pieced together from previous stories, it brings them all into this one unified um, space. Mm. I, I really enjoy that one. So if you want to read a really good, cohesive, long Spider-Man arc, Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man Ultimate. Uh, Leon? Ultimate Spider-Man. You got, you got one, Leon? Well, my, my two favourites, uh, well-storied, are Spider-Man and Batman. But because Spider-Man's been taken, I'm going to have to go <laughs> with Batman. But, um, yeah, I'd have to say one, one of the reasons that I love Batman so much um, is because he has no powers. Um uh, and his special ability is his mind, really. Um, and not his bank balance. Able... Well, <laughs> no, because not really. They're not special. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I know what you mean. It's the force of his will, and the but, fact. Yeah. yeah, like what I find uh, interesting about him is um, how he uses that stuff to just always be like so many steps ahead but never in a way that's not uh, compelling to read um so i'd say i, I don't know it's, it's hard like because i had so many like books but if i was going to recommend two which i think uh yeah i'm gonna break the rules and do two that i think best exemplify why he's the best there would be batman year one mm-hmm. by uh, frank miller um I, I just think that really captures like what it's like when he's just there at the beginning and he's making the decisions and he's making the mistakes and he's rough around the edges and he's finally like he's diving into this world after completing all of his training. Um, I, I don't know. I think it really captures his mindset and what he stands for. And then another I'd recommend in terms of giving you say the full gamut of uh, what he um what he ex- exemplifies is uh, the long Halloween. Oh yeah, by yeah. Um, Jeff Loeb and Tim yeah. Sale. Like I think that just covers a lot of facets of what makes him an interesting um, superhero, um, but also a um, it, it, it examines his rogues really well as well. So mm. I think those two books are sort of the must must reads i think the thing i love about the long halloween the most is that batman can represent so many different facets of like an extreme human psyche and as you said his his robes are always an aspect of many of his different extreme facets and we get to see a lot of the interplay between these various different fragments of his psyche in the long halloween it explores that really well i, I love that book this is very difficult for me to answer this question. Um, you've already taken Batman, <laughs> and I, I was gonna, I was gonna go with Batman as well. Um, so, if you have a different book, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, jeez, this is so difficult. Surely, there's a TMNT or like Usagi Yojimbo or yeah, there's there's a there's a cool TMNT arc. 
um, in the IDW TMNT books. Um, and it's um, because the books are ongoing, it's not really split up. It's, it's the... Um, I guess it's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And what best... It's it's just every the books in general, as in like I can't pick a specific point in history that or in a specific arc that best exemplifies this because they all do. It's I like them because they're um, they're highly trained ninjas. They they do what they have to do to save the world, but they're also just kids, and they're a family. And they have a father figure in Master Splinter. And it's, it's you know, it's exemplified throughout. It's best exemplified through reading the whole, especially the IDW run. Because they, they hammer home the family thing a lot. And I really like that. I like that they're this, this happy little unit. And they still manage to find happiness. And, um, you know what, I guess there is a good one. I guess it's the, um, the recent... Um, christmas issue i can't remember what number that was but it was the one that was put out um i think it was last december and it's the recent christmas issue where they have a christmas party and even though they're not all on the same page at that point like um three of them are following master splinter who is now in charge of the foot clan after killing shredder um explosive point in issue 50 where um there's this final showdown between Splinter and Shredder, and I won't spoil what happens, but there's some pretty sweet panels in that story. Um, and uh, a long story short, Splinter's now in charge of the Foot Clan, and um, Mikey doesn't want anything to do with that because Mikey's like, "We're as bad as them now. Why? Why are we doing this? You know." And he, I think he's also a little bit cut up with the fact that Splinter actually killed Shredder. You know, he, he wouldn't think that his his hero, Master Splinter, could do that. But at the end of the day, they're still a family. And they still get together as brothers. And they still have a nice little Christmas party. They invite all the mute animals over. Um, all these different factions, you know, with throughout New York, all their allies come together. And they have this, this nice Christmas party in Mikey's little pad, Mikey's lair. Because Mikey's living on his own now. Uh, bless him. Because he doesn't want to have anything to do with the Foot Clan. Um... And they still manage to function as a family, and it's great. Donnie's putting the Christmas lights up, and you know they get pizza in, and uh, it, it's like it, it's like a, it's, it escalates. The story escalates. So it starts off it's like, okay, we're only inviting a few people, and then like more and more people end up getting invited because they hear about it. The mute animals hear people talking about it, so they come along, assuming they're invited, and it just turns into a big like frenzy party. April's there, uh, Angel's there, Alapex. Alapex might not be there at that point. I can't fully remember. Um, and at the very end of the story, because even though they're not happy with Master Splinter at this point, he's doing what he has to do. At the very end of the story, Splinter turns up and gives them a little, leaves them a little Christmas gift outside, which I think is a really nice touch. So yeah, we'll go with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and we'll go with the recent Christmas issue that best exemplifies why they're the best comic characters because although they're heroes they save the city they're ninjas they're still a family and it still shows and it's great no matter what happens to them they stick together and guess that brings us up to time to wrap up yeah thanks for your email James yeah thanks James yeah thanks for uh, thanks for your email thanks for your question yeah um, so I guess it's time we wrapped up now so um 
yeah uh that's been Ace Comicals. Um, you can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can get in touch with us through the Ace Comicals email address, which is acecomicals at gmail.com. You can do like James did, send us an email, we'll answer your question. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com. We're also on WordPress, which is acecomicals.wordpress.com which is my blog um, and also where I'll post links for the episodes um, you can find us on YouTube as well we have the Ace Comicals YouTube channel where there'll be an occasional vlog going up um, I'm trying to keep it frequent um, so we'll see what happens with that but yeah watch the videos um, and where can we find you guys you can find me on Twitter at Munker so that's at M-O-O-N-K-E-H and I'm a lot more active on it now than I was. I've been promising for ages, and I'm finally starting to update it with uh, quite regular comic-related posts. So you can catch me on there. And I'm uh, at Leon Everett. Fantastic. So uh, that has been a bumper episode of Ace Comicals. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. Ace Comicals over and out.